Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I have with me my friend here, Patrick O'Hearn. He just released a book. We're actually interviewing on the day the book is released. This is kind of kind of cool, kind of an exclusive. It's a children's book, children's book called Our Lady of Sorrows. You can see it on the screen there. And it's about devotions to Mary's seven sorrows for children, which I think is a wonderful thing uh, that, is, that is sorely needed with a forward by Father Chad Ripperger, which always is a good thing. Patrick, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. So ladies and gentlemen, just before we get into it, I'm, I want to make sure you have all the information needs. So I'm just going to pull up uh, where you can buy his book. And I'll just share my screen here. You can see it there. Oh, that thing's still in the way, but you get the point. It's, um, it's at Sophia. And if you just click the link in the description, you can find that there. Um, it's called Our Lady of Sorrows, Devotion to Mary's Seven Sorrows. Already sold out on Amazon, which is a good sign, but you can still get it from Sophia. And also... Is another book called The Grief of Dads, and it's Support and Hope for Catholic Fathers Navigating Child Loss. That's not going to be the main discussion of our show today, but nonetheless, I have, you know, my wife and I, we did, uh, we did lose a child. Um, my wife was almost six months pregnant. This was in 2020, so, and, uh, you know, we had some early-term miscarriages, and we do have six children, thanks be to God, but we've experienced that difficult loss, so I'm really glad that you did write that book as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, okay, so... Million dollar question, who is Patrick O'Hearn? <laughs> <laughs> so Patrick O'Hearn is a husband and a father. You know, I have uh, two children on earth and two in heaven. Uh, I kind of grew up, I grew up in the Midwest. And I've, it's, it's interesting, you know, the writing aspect. I actually hated writing growing up. It was like the, the, the last thing I wanted to do. And I, I, through our, uh, you know, through my wife's miscarriages, I, I really believe that you know, the Holy Spirit gives you certain gifts and they're, they're not just for yourself, like anything you do. And it's often the thing that we resist the most. I often find that, you know, like St. Paul, right? You know, just going to a place that he didn't want to go and God calls us to do things that we don't want to do. And so that is, um, so God led me on a journey. Eventually, um, and I became the editor at Tan Books for two years. Well, I, I think I was gracious enough to, um, I mean, uh, to actually, I think, edited your book, which yeah, is we Terror of Demons. Yeah, yeah. We worked together in an amazing book, and uh, I'm glad Tan you know, published it. And so you know, I've been an editor, and that was for two years. And then uh, now I, I mostly do freelance editing, and I, I do some content writing for Fazadi, which is a great Catholic marketing company. But deep down, I, uh, my, my passion is for writing. I, uh, just, and I hope, you know, uh, that God can use me, and uh, I've, I, my my main goal is to spread devotion to our Lord, and and especially to Our Lady of Sorrows. You can see behind me, I have that statue, and um, I also wrote another children's book uh, on the apparition of Our Lady of Champion in the United States, which is that came out by OSV this fall, and many people don't know about it. So I just, as you're using your platform to 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 bring defense to the church, to expose the rot, and and to um, to give people, I think, of a, a voice of clarity in these times of confusion. I, I do believe that, you know, uh, my voice is a little different. Um, just I, I believe my voice is to to spread devotion to Our Lady and to her heart. And uh, I think there's they're both. You know, everyone has different missions, but that's kind of a little bit about me. And I feel like that's I'm called to to spread this devotion. Excellent. I just pulled up that book. I'll share that on the screen as well so people can see it. It's called Go and Fear Nothing, the story of Our Lady of Champion um, right there. And uh, you can find this on Amazon. And uh, just uh, click, you know, look for Patrick O'Hearn on Amazon, O with a comma and then Hearn, and you'll find his books there. So make sure you check those out. So 
okay, I'm a writer, you're a writer, writing a children's book. It's very different than writing, you know, a chapter book, a novel or a nonfiction full length book. Um, what, what inspired you to do children's literature as opposed to the longer stuff? Yeah. yeah. It's actually more of a time factor. I realize I can, I want to write so many books, you know, that when I was at TAN, I used to come up with book ideas. That was yeah. like my favorite thing. And I'd go after authors to write it, but I, I felt like children's books. And, uh, you know, one of the things is, you know, we would get books from the library and, you know, I, I would, get, I would brought home one book and just, you know, the book I'm reading halfway through and there's, there's two dads in there and I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. I, I something's got to change here. And I, I just felt like the, all the books that my, my son is reading, I mean, they're just fluff. Even even a lot of the Catholic books, they're just yeah. you're not giving these children, you know, it's like we're not it's like we're almost afraid to give them like the truth, like they can't handle it. So I think so it was it was a two combinations is one of the woke culture that's going on. And then secondly, I feel like time wise, I just I can you know, I can pump out more children's books. Uh, just because, you know, as you know, writing isn't a full time job for most of us, you, you it's hard to make a living off of it. Um, I wish I could write full time. So those are kind of the two reasons why I uh, kind of started writing children's books. You know, it's funny, you mentioned the children's books, even the Catholic ones sometimes being fluff. Um, we follow a homeschooling model. And the lady who who cha who championed it back in the 1800s, uh, she calls that kind of entertainment twaddle. So it's just sort of like, you know, it's not offensive. It's not like it's heretical or something like that. I mean, that's obviously evil, but it's just like, meh, it's like watching a cartoon. It's like, well, nothing bad happened. It's not like the kid is exposed to the devil or something, but it's just he watched a little puppy talk to another puppy and how much they like balloons or something. And it's like, OK, that's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but nothing was gained by that. You know, nothing was stimulated. Yeah. And um, we have this book. It's the opposite of that. And it's old. It's by the Newman press like the one that's spelled n-e-u-m-a-n-n -N. I, th I think it's an imprint of it's either sophia or angelus or something like that and um for the life of me i can't remember the name of it right now but it's these little stories that my wife reads to the kids when they're doing homeschooling and they're really intense but the children love them you know they're like you know so-and-so's mom died and this kind of stuff and like these are things that people don't think to put into children's books but children have all these questions and they do want to understand these things. So there's mm -hmm. a way that you can transmit the legitimate real questions of life, but for children. So why don't you tell us if, if that was part of your approach to writing this book, Our Lady of Sorrows for Kids? It, it was, you know, and I think that this book is, it's really, you know, I, I was posting today on, I have an Instagram account and I watch, you know, just to promote my books. I, I've, um, and one thing I mentioned is, uh, you know, this isn't just a children's book. This is a devotional book. And I think even adults, when they read these, so there's, you know, it's set up where I have, you know, Mary speaking to the child and uh, those. And so in each of those sorrows, and then you have the Hail Mary in English and Latin, you can pray and then a prayer to Mary to asking for that particular virtue. So as you're, it, you know, it's almost a book too, like I said, you can't, you could spend a whole week on just one sorrow if you wanted to. It's a, I think it's around 40 to 50 pages, but it's, again, it's, it's not like a typical children's book that you just, you read at night and, you know, um, it's, it's one that you really, you can really ponder and you can put yourself in Mary's heart, uh, you know, what she was going through, almost like doing the stations of the cross through the eyes of Mary, you know, um, and so that's what the, that's, I guess my, my intention in writing this book was again, a devotional and then, uh, following those seven sorrows, you know, 
there's a, I even have this litany of the seven sorrows by a um, servant of God, uh, Pius the seventh, one of our popes. And it's just, it's a beautiful prayer. That's amazing. So why don't you bring us through kind of the overview of um, what the children will get as far as the devotions are concerned? Yeah, yeah I mean, the children will get obviously, um, you know, meditating on, sorry, I, actually, I begin each sorrow with a um, with one of the scripture um, passages where that sorrow is based. So the first sorrow, the prophecy of Simeon. And I do have, uh, I mean, I can pull up the book. Yeah, I don't know if sure. uh, you you got a copy at all, but... Um, not yes, yet, but it's supposed that's okay. to be sent. Yeah. <laughs> it probably got stuck at the border, right? Could uh, be. But but it's you know my illustrator Adelaide Hude, uh, Hude, sorry. I mean she starts with the first sorrow, and mm, um, that's beautiful. And then it's, and then as I go over, and then um, and Adelie is you know she is the illustrator for Tan's book Sanctus Santus, the Latin Mass hymnal for children, just an amazing book. But um, and then you go into you know you have uh, sorry the mm. first. You know, you, and then uh, that's really beautiful. That's probably tough, tough for you to see. And then you have like Our Ladies, and then the Hail Mary, and then a prayer, and then it kind of goes like that. And then the next, and each of these saw each of these flowers are associated with some kind, of, you know, like the Passion of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, so it's probably <laughs> I'm not holding it right, but that's kind of how it's set up. And then, um, so you go through each. So yeah, you have the scripture verse, a reflection from Mary, the Hail Mary, a prayer, and then at the end of the book, you know, we had the litany of uh, seven sorrows, and then there's like traditional prayers for children, both in English and Latin. So the Our Father, the Hail Mary, mm. and then it concludes with um, Father Rippinger writes four original prayers for children. So there's there's a prayer for their vocation, a prayer for protection, a prayer to Mary, and a nightly prayer of gratitude. So they're kind of spiritual warfare prayers for children. That's amazing. My kids are part of this thing called the Eucharistic Crusade. Um, I don't know uh, how common it is in parishes. I know it's in our traditional chapel, and it's kind of across the country. I think it started. It might have started in France a long time ago. But basically, mm-hmm. what it is, it's like a rule of life for kids, and they go through the different levels of being a page and being. Uh, it's like page or postulant page crusader mm-hmm. and knight. And then for whip for girls, it's like handmaid or something or handmaiden or something like that. Um, and they go all the way till they're like 16 or 17. Um, but it's, but yeah, they have a rule of life and they have this, the certain prayers that they have to pray. So it's really important to have kids develop a traditional prayer life. Do you think, do you think this book will help kids be inspired to do that? I think so. You know, there's, there's so many devotions in the Catholic church and, you know, and I think that, and this one is so simple, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's praying seven Hail Marys a day. And it's something that I've done. I mean, Our Lady's put on my heart since I've been, you know, a young boy. And again, you know, sometimes we can do too many devotions. I mean, you can, all you do is, you know, you do like 50 devotions and you don't do them well. You do them. So I always say like, you know, you're kind of drawn to the devotions, like Our Lady calls you to them. So you, you shouldn't feel sorry if you're like, you're not called to like, to pray the Holy Face devotion or to do, you know, the divine mercy, it, 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 you know, but I do think there's a certain ones, obviously the rosary. Mm-hmm. And then I think this, this one is one that I think I, I really believe, I mean, as we'll get into maybe the, the promises of praying it, like it's, it's so powerful. So I think this is one that, and it's, it's not that hard to say seven Hail Marys and there is a rosary of the, the seven sorrows. And that's kind of even uh, in the 1980s, Our Lady appeared in Cabejo, Rwanda, mm-hmm. and that it's approved apparition. And she asked for that rosary, but 
this book just focuses mostly on the simple devotion of the seven Hail Marys. But I do think that, you know, if we can cultivate like, you know, this devotion in our children, it's something, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll take with them as adults and keep passing it along to their children. Do you personally have a devotion to Our Lady of Seven Sorrows? I do. You know, be, behind me is that statue. And I, I bought that statue over 15 years ago and it's, it's gone with me everywhere I've gone. Like, you know, I spent a couple of years in a monastery and then I, uh, you know, just throughout my, you know, my marriage and I, I, I do, I, I love to kneel down. It's, it's actually, I'm glad I have it because every time, like when it's in my office here and when I go to bed at night, it's almost like she reminds me to pray to her seven Hail Marys. Like if I don't do it, she looks at me, you know, and it's like, console my heart. And so I think that, uh, that devotion has been, yeah, it's really, um, I, th I think, you know, one of the promises she, she says she will protect you at every moment from the infernal enemy. And I really believe that since praying these Hail Marys, like I I've seen, you know, uh, just how the devil is trying to come after me. I mean, every Catholic that's seeking the Lord, but in, in strong ways. And I, I, I feel like she has protected me. Yeah. Okay, so that's interesting. So when I wrote Terror of Demons, um, I noticed that while I was writing the book, actually, to be honest, every time I write any book, <laughs> because if you're writing something to defend the church or some aspect of tradition, especially, usually there's a pretty strong retaliation from the uh, old scratch, as Father Zolsdorf calls them. Um, did you find any uh, shenanigans from the evil one while you were writing this book? I think... I think this one, I mean, it was actually the, not this one, but I mean, with, with, I worked on a Eucharistic book with Father Calloway and I, like right when I was finished with it, he, he has this book called the Eucharistic Revival. It's really, it's hard hitting. I recommend people get it. But, um, you know, as I was working on the manuscript with him and I sent it over, you know, as we were going back and forth, it like totally disappeared from my computer. And it was, you know, it was, and I had a, eventually, I didn't even know where it went. Uh, but I've had that before. I would say with, with Our Lady of Sorrows, I definitely think, I mean, there's a lot of uh, job situation stuff, stuff behind the scenes going around that I, I do think that there was definitely some diabolical attacks. Um, but uh, in the end, uh, it's like Our Lady, you know, she triumphed. <laughs> so how does a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows differ in a, in a noticeable way from, let's say, a sort of a general devotion to the rosary? Not to say that not to say the rosary is just, just a general devotion, but, you know, we have our rosary devotion, and then we have this devotion to Our Lady of Seven Sorrows. What's the main difference kind of in the, let's say, the, uh, the milieu of that devotion versus the other Marian devotions, in your opinion? I think with Our Lady of Seven Sorrows, I mean, I think the focus is on Mary, you know, on her sufferings. You know, in the rosary, we're actually contemplating, you know, I think John Paul II talked about, right, contemplating Jesus, you know, through the eyes of Mary or and so I think, you know, Jesus is definitely the focus of the mysteries of the rosary. I think with the seven sorrows, like you enter into Mary's heart. And I think, I think we, as Catholics, we forget about her suffering, you know, and, and uh, we just, it's like, we, it's almost like we divorce her, like we become like Protestants. We divorce her from the, like the cross. And maybe, maybe we only think about her at Lent time, but even, and so I think that this devotion really puts, yeah, Mary's pain in her, you know, it's like, and we're there to console her. And so I think that that would be the primary difference. You know, it is interesting to think about um, with our Lord, we know the sacred heart. And that's kind of the, I mean, I, I don't know if there are other devotions to the heart of Jesus, but really it's the sacred heart, you know. Um, 
with Our Lady, we have both the Immaculate Heart and the Sorrowful Heart of Mary. You know, we have the most Immaculate Mother and the most Sorrowful Mother. In fact, every evening when we pray a rosary as a family, uh, after the Fatima prayer, we picked up this tradition from some friends. Uh, after saying, you know, the Fatima prayer, we say, Most Sorrowful and Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us now at the hour of our death. Um, so it really is, it's something that, you know, it, for one to have a true devotion to the Sacred Heart, I think it's indispensable to have a devotion to the Heart of Mary. Mm-hmm. Just like in the Gospels where it talks about, you know, in the Magnificat where Our Lady is saying, my, you know, I magnif- my soul magnifies the Lord. To know Jesus more is to know, is to, or to know Mary more is to know Jesus more. Um, do you find that this devotion uh, is sort of complementary to the other devotions that are, are, are common amongst pious Catholics? I do, you know, and I think the more we console Mary's heart, we console Jesus's heart because, you know, they, they beat for one another. Their hearts are, you know, and, and, and I think that that is, you know, and this, I think this devotion too is connected with Fatima, you know, the five first Saturdays, you know, so every time we pray a Hail Mary, like you're in a sense, you know, like, like that mystery that Mary is, and we have that on that front cover, the Pieta, you know, the, that, uh, the fifth sorrow of Mary. And I think that when you pray that, it's like you're definitely, you are, because Mary has that sword in her heart and it's, and, and it's often she's like looking at us and, and saying like, will you like e- ease my pain? And, uh, and, and also just the hatred that we see that goes on in not only, I'd say mostly in the world, but even in the church, the indifference to Mary. And uh, so I think that this devotion, definitely when we console Mary's heart, it's, it brings a, uh, cons- consolation to the sacred heart. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned that. You know, one of the lines of uh, the sacred heart devotion that always gets me is when Christ talks, when it talks about heart of Jesus bruised for our offenses. Um, and that always hits me because above the altar in our chapel, there is this beautiful, there's the crucifix, of course, you know, for the mm-hmm. for the altar, for the technical purposes, but then there's also this beautiful devotional statue of our Lord with the Sacred Heart. And I always remember that line when I go up for communion and I look at the Sacred Heart and I just feel this pain in my chest. And we forget, or maybe we don't think about as much as we should, that we have this very dramatic image of Our Lady with the actual swords piercing our heart. So what are some of the ways that you sort of tease out the meaning of the sorrows that Our Lady undergoes in ways that children understand? I, you know, in the book, you know, obviously the scripture verse, you can kind of see that this, this isn't just a pie in the sky. I mean, there's a basis for these sorrows. And I mean, the prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, the loss of the child Jesus in the temple. So, you know, I think that that's where you can really see it there. Like, you know, we aren't inventing this devotion. This is rooted in scripture. And then I think through Mary, you know, just reflecting, you know, the years that I've just been in prayer and just looking at the crucifix, I feel like, you know, Our Lady is... You know, it's like you you can't but help. Like I mean, when we look at that that statue behind me, it's you know I, I think that there's this this mystery that she's looking at us and saying like, will you stand with me on Calvary? You know, she's pointing us through these sorrows, you know, to her son's sorrow. So I think for children, you know, it's it's funny. My mom used to like she used to give me a hard time. <laughs> She's like, she'd try to like hide my statue when guests would come over. Like when I was out of town, like they'd stay in my bed. She's like, oh, it's going to scare them. And I'm like, no, like I think children, we need to see, we need to see the element of suffering. And I think that this book definitely, you know, it, it does a job of, 
I mean, preparing our children to realize like, you know, it's, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost when you follow Christ, it'll cost you everything. But at the same time, you know, that our lady is, you know, like she's standing with us too. Like we don't, we don't suffer alone. Um, but I think it, so those are some ways that I think that children, you know, Mary in a sense, I think to these sorrows, like she takes us by the hand, she walks with us to Calvary with her. And, and, and it's not just about her pain. Ultimately she's pointing us to the cross. Have you ever read in St. Francis de Sales how he talks about how the crucifixion actually killed Mary? Um, how I, it, yeah, yeah. It's, like a, it's like a deer, um, you know, wounded, but then over time sort of bleeds out. So he actually talks about how it's like she was a, a deer who was pierced by an arrow. And then over time, eventually she falls down to die. Um, I've always found that to be a really heart-wrenching and moving way of understanding it. Have you uh, contemplated that at all? I have, you know, and I, I found a quote by San Alphonsus. Like I wrote an article last year around Lent uh, on Holy Week first, you know, spiritualdirection.com. Great, you know, great with website. Dan Burke, with, yeah. You know, yeah, Dan Burke. And it was a quote by San Alphonsus. It struck me. And it basically said that, you know, the sorrows of Jesus, his interior sorrows were greater like a thousand times greater than his exterior sorrow. So if you think about it, like his betrayal, you know, just that alone. And I think that Mary, it says that she suffered in her soul exactly what Christ suffered in his body, everything. So if we can imagine, you know, often we just think the physical pain, but the, the interior pain, you know, again, betrayal of, you know, getting, uh, I mean, Judas and then Peter being denied. I mean, those, you you cannot, we can't comprehend Mary's sorrows and, and, and Jesus's pain at the same time. Yeah, there's that quote that goes around, you know, like mom groups and stuff on Facebook, and it's uh, being a mother is is um, it's something like being a mother is 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 submitting to the fact that your heart's going to walk around in another person, and if a mother who is, you know, she might be a great mother, but she's still affected by original sin. She's a she's a sinful human being, but if she can understand this in a way, and we all understand that. It's amazing to think about how much more drastic that would have been with uh, Our Lady and Jesus. And the scene in The Passion, it's that heart-wrenching scene when she, she hearkens back in her memory to seeing Christ fall as a little child. And um, I, yeah, I'm really glad you did this because I, I don't think people, you know, one of the, the, the great offenses, I think, against, well, Our Lord and Our Lady, the sacred and, and, and sorrowful hearts of Our Lord and Our Lady today, we live in such a human-centered, I would I would say narcissistic society. We live in a society where even in the church, you know, it's like, well, I want this to be like this because I want it that way. And it's like, well, respectfully, I don't really care what you want. <laughs> I care what Christ <laughs> wants, you know. We see this with the liturgy. It's like, we must have it in the vernacular. It's like, well, okay, I mean, the priest isn't talking to you. He's talking to God. So uh, if, if, if God has told us he's okay with Latin, then that's good enough for me. And, um, but I think that this stems back to, you know, we sort of, we sort of lose this, this, this uh, true charity, the loving, the good of the other, really feel, empathizing, you know? So uh, I, I'm really glad you did this because I think that really understanding the sacred and immaculate and sorrowful heart of our, of, of our lady and our Lord is a way to inculcate in children something like a defense against selfishness, something like a defense against self-centeredness. What do you think of that? I do. You know, I, I think... That's the whole, one of the points 
of this book is like to forget our own sufferings. When we're suffering, it's like, you know, we're just, I mean, I'm guilty of it, complaining and uh, just looking at Mary, you know, like, and, and that's when, when during her passion, it was like she, during her sorrow, she was looking at Christ, trying to forget about herself. And Christ at the same time was forgetting about his sorrows. He was more concerned about his mother's pain. And this is a hypothesis, but I do believe that had St. Joseph been alive, he would have died at the, at Calvary. I think mm-hmm. the you know, as, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show about, and just mentioned, uh, you know, child loss as a dad, like when you see your, it's like your pain is, it's mostly because it stems from your wife, seeing your wife suffer. And you can imagine Joseph like trying to, if you could imagine him at for a second on Calvary, trying to console Mary and then seeing his son be murdered in front of him. I mean, I think he, I just think he couldn't, I don't know, personally, I, I don't know how if he could have handled it. I, I know I couldn't have. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, my wife and I will talk about, you know, okay, we worry about our kids getting hurt and like that would be sad. You know, I don't want, so far we've got six kids and none of them have broken a limb. I don't know how that's happened. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I, did you ever watch the show The Office? It's kind uh, of yeah. famous. So Michael Scott says, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. You know, um, we're just joking, ladies and gentlemen. I know superstition is a sin. Haha, <laughs> they're jokes. But, you know, uh, I probably jinxed it, quote unquote, by saying my kids haven't broken arm. They're probably going to break an arm tomorrow. But, Um, You know, we worry about those things, okay, jump off the trampoline or fall off the deck or playing with the dog or something like that. And, you know, maybe they, I don't know, whatever, slip on the ice and and break their leg or something. That would be tough. But those things don't keep me up at night. You know, I mean, if you have kids, I've got kids every time one of them smacks their head on the corner of the whatever and stuff. I'm like, he's fine. You know, like, I mean, he hit his head or he hit his arm or he skinned his knee and like we just hug him and they're there. And it's like, okay, you'll be fine. But the things that keep me up at night are the is the is the thought of a child falling into mortal sin like even just saying those words it brings tears to my eyes like to think the 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 interior torment and the danger um you know inherent in everything that's around in the world and um i don't know if i have a question out of that but i just it was a thought that came to my mind maybe you can add something to that yeah yeah no i i think you know this devotion, what I think too is, you know, I think Fulton Sheen mentioned somewhere where it's like, you know, after we go to confession, right, we we pull back, like we nail Jesus to the cross, right? But then the, um, you know, in terms of the nails come out, the, you know, after we're forgiven. But I think in the same way, it's like, you know, when we when we sin, we're driving the swords into Mary's heart, you know, as, and I think, so that's just a, we need to recognize that like we, you know, uh, she looks at us and I think I have one of the lines in there um, or maybe not an article I wrote, but she just like looks at us and she's like, stop crucifying my son. You know, it's serious. And, and so I think that it is, it is a lesson for, for all of us to realize this, the severity of sin and what it's done to, to Mary's heart and Jesus' heart, because I think sin is ultimate selfishness. And it's like, we don't think it affects the body of Christ. And so we just keep doing it. But if we can realize like everything that I do wounds someone else and it, it'll get passed on to my children that I, I think that there's this level of, no, I don't, I don't want any, I don't want anyone else to suffer. So in your work with um, spiritualdirection.com and uh, it's run by Dan Burke and also having at least a close working relationship with Father Ripperger, um, I guess, you know, what have you learned about the importance of the sorrowful heart of Mary in the in the realm of spiritual warfare? Yeah. I mean, 
comes down to, I mean, there were seven promises that Our Lady um, gave to St. Bridget, and, and that I think it's the fifth one says, you know, I will defend them in all their battles against the infernal enemy at, at every moment. And and so that one right there is, the, I mean, that's huge. And, and Father Rippinger also mentions uh, this fact that, you know, there's something about one of the other promises, like Our Lady says, I will enlighten them about the divine mysteries. But that also involves the mystery of ourselves. And so Father Rippinger mentions that if we have a strong devotion of Our Lady of Sorrows, she will reveal, if we ask her to, to reveal our hidden vices, you know, and that we're sometimes blind to because sin blinds us. And so that, if we can have, if we can see ourselves as Christ sees us and, and Our Lady sees us, then then we can overcome that sinfulness. But, in, but if we don't, if we're prideful, we're going to be continue to be Im- immersed in that sin. And, and so that, I think that's the key to the spiritual battle is not only does she protect us, but she enables us to have that f- spiritual freedom that keeps us, keeps the devil away because he can't, you know, when, when we're sinning, right, he's just going to keep, we're his, own, we're his property. You know, I think I talk about this a lot. Have you ever read John Sr.? A little uh, bit. A little bit. I mean, I yeah. love him. He's uh, yeah. old school in the traditional sort of Catholic literature. Yeah. He was an amazing, for people that don't know, he was an incredible professor about the yeah. great books. And he was huge as our sort of, let's call them the uh, counter-revolutionary kind of post-conciliar minds um, in, in the world of Catholic literature and philosophy. He was huge on realism, you know. Um, there's another uh, Belgian philosopher named Marcel de Court. Most of his stuff is not in English. Most of it's in French. Um, but John Sr. Marcel, Marcel de Court, they talk about how this modern world that we're in and, and John Sr.'s writing in the 80s, and Marcel de Court died in like, it might have been the 60s or 70s. It wasn't too long ago. I might be wrong on that, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it was not in the age of AI and iPads and things like that, put it that way. And even then, they were saying, you know, the, the, the further we get away from really having that tactile understanding and connection with like three dimensional incarnational reality. For John Sr., he, he said that every parent should take the TV out back and shoot it with a shotgun. <laughs> and uh, we, don't, we didn't shoot our TV with a shotgun. We sold it or whatever. But, 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 the, but yeah, we don't have a TV. And, um, but, in this, but in this age, you know, here we are. I'm using my iPhone as my camera, and I got my MacBook or whatever here. You got your laptop. I mean, we can't avoid the technology if we have to work on the computer, which is most jobs that are not strict labor jobs. And... Um, so we have to be really, really intentional about getting away from the fakeness, you know, the, the layers of reality. Virtual reality just means it's reality, but not really, you know, and that kind of stuff governs our whole lives. And I think, I think these devotions have become so foreign to people because I don't even know if they contemplate the reality of having a heart. You know, I don't even know if they contemplate the reality of the fact that, you know, when your heart stops beating, you will die. Um, do you think that a devotion to this uh, sorrowful heart of Mary kind of helps to keep us grounded in the reality, not just of the fact of our sinfulness, but just the fact that th- that we that uh, we have to understand the heart of a person kind of in the way the ancients do? Definitely. I mean, that's I, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, this this uh, virtual world that we're living in. 
I mean, I don't, I don't know too many people that, I mean, even like big crucifixes, like you see that back in, you know, your grand grandparents day. Like that's why I'm in our house. Like I like to have giant crucifixes with blood on them. I mean, I want, (laughs) and, uh, I mean, just you look at those images and even the swords, it's like, I mean, those were devotions that came out of the medieval times. And often it's just like, you know, with modernity, it's like, oh, let's just, let's put a happy Jesus and, uh, I mean, no, I, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I have the, the, uh, the, the image of the shroud of Turin behind me, but I know, I think that these images call us back to to the fact that we're going to die someday. And, uh, it's, you know, and, and suffering is real. You know, this isn't something to be like sugar-coated. You know, Mary's heart was, I mean, it was pierced. I mean, it's pierced with seven sorrows, seven swords. And even in, there was a, there's a famous image in Ecuador, Our Lady of Sorrows, where she was crying. Like, I mean, the image was exuding tears. And I think, you know, again, this isn't like a gloom and doom devotion either. I mean, there's, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of hope too. I mean, because, I mean, we know like, you know, we know what's at the end. I mean, I mean, even like Lent, you know, uh, I mean, even like St. Benedict, I, who I love, people forget this, but he talks about like, let's approach Lent with holy joy, you know, mm-hmm. like, and I think that, you know, even when you look at Our Lady, it's like, it can't just be this, you know, uh, it's not, put it this way, like she is pointing us to Christ on the cross, but then, you know, we're not, we never divorce that from the resurrection. That's one thing people need to understand, you know, um, we love to talk about freedom in the modern world. We're free men and women, blah, blah, blah. Um, but true freedom, you know, the real liberty of your soul is found if you can find joy and purpose in your suffering, you know, and the whole modern world, all the new age stuff, the Eckhart Tolle, whatever power of now stuff, the Oprah stuff, all the nonsense, the garbage. Um, it's all about avoiding suffering or explaining suffering away, you know? And, and, and it's kind of like Buddhism in that sense, which it does make sense. I mean, the, you know, Chesterton talked about, and Lewis talked about, you know, Buddhism is, is a, I mean, it's really just a form of stoicism in, in many ways, but it's the Eastern spiritualities, they, are, they make sense in the sense that if you can't have, if you can't make sense of your suffering uh, in a supernatural way, then suffering itself will seem meaningless or it will seem like an arbitrary punishment. So the idea is that you have to explain away that suffering is suffering, if that makes sense. Whereas as a Catholic, we go, no, no, suffering really has a purpose. You know, I remember, um, I've talked about this many times, but you know, I wasn't, I was raised nominally Catholic, but didn't have any serious devotion to my mid twenties about 10 years ago or so. And, um, Kind of soon after I had my major coming back, my major interior conversion to the face, I was playing rugby and um, at practice one day, just the most random thing, just tore my ACL to shreds and my MCL meniscus. It was a whole thing. I was just literally running in a straight line and it just popped and whatever was gone. And um, I remember at that time, and I'm not a holy person. I'm not saying I'm a saint. I'm not saying I'm a mystic. I'm not saying, you know, but nothing about my, I'm not self-aggrandizing. I'm just saying I had enough sense at that moment and I immediately thought to myself how lucky I was to have hurt myself playing a sport uh, because I just thought, mm-hmm. it just came to my mind. I'm like, man, oh man, I could have been working in a coal mine and, 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 and you know, 100 years ago and broke my femur and, and been walking with a limp for the rest of my life, you know, whereas now it's like I'm playing a, I'm playing a sport for fun when I'm 30 years old uh, that I have no business playing. You know, who plays, who's going to play, 
top flight men's league rugby when they've got a kid. When, I mean, it's just silly, but I was, and um, I was going to go to the doctor and get a surgery and be fine and play a year and a half later or whatever. And but the point is, is that even there with my sort of, I was in, I was an infant in the faith. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had enough sense, kind of as a Catholic, in that Catholic sense, to say to myself, "There's some some for some reason there's a joy in this suffering." And that is something that non-Catholics just don't understand. Protestants explain it away. Even Dennis Prager, the famous Jewish conservative commentator, he even made a joke and he said, um, you know, if you had a group of Christians and uh, Jews on a cruise ship, let's say, and the food was bad, he said, who do you think would complain the most? And he said to be the Jews. And he said, because we don't understand, we can't make sense of suffering, whereas you Christians can make sense of it. Um, so... Maybe you can speak to the necessity to inculcate in our children through this devotion, this necessity to not just understand suffering like, yeah, we suffer, but there's an actual joy in it in that we can be united more to our Lord. Yeah, even in, you know, in the, the mystery of the loss of the child Jesus, you know, hmm. even mystics say during that time that, and I actually put in, in that book, in the book, The Grief of Dads, because there's a story of different saints in there, but I talked about Joseph that he, during that time, he almost, almost lost his life. It said he was just, I mean, because he was, he was grieving that he, he didn't know if he'd see Jesus again, probably felt like a failure as a father and uh, he couldn't eat any food. But again, that gives me consolation, you know, and should give any dad consolation, you know, when you lose a child, uh, that really like the saints, they, they suffered. I mean, they suffered that, but, but I think, but going back to that mystery of that, that third sorrow is there was joy after Mary and, and, uh, and Joseph found Jesus, like even in the midst of that agony, you know, that they, they found him. There was, there was that, I think there was maybe Mary kept more so than Joseph, but that hope that they would see Jesus again. And so I think that, you know, to see that silver lining in our suffering, like it's, it's temporary. And, um, and I think, um, and, and one other point is, you know, with, with that image, I, I wanted our illustrator to not shy away from, you know, obviously I was like, don't, don't make Jesus, you know, I, I didn't want to make it like too bloody that would scare children. But if you, I mean, you, you get the images, you'll see that there's like this serenity, you know, even on Mary's face as she's holding, you know, the Pieta, she's holding Jesus, there's a serenity. And I think that that's what our children need to see is, you know, like even in our sufferings. And again, here's another reason why this devotion is so critical is like, you console Mary's heart. It's almost like the same way when we console the souls in purgatory, they get to heaven, they console us. And again, we're not doing it with this, you know, my motive isn't like, I just want Mary to console me. But I think you, we know that if Jesus and Mary can suffer the most horrendous suffering in the world. Like, you know, how, how can we not just suffer just even a little bit for them? And we know that they are going to support us. They didn't even, like Mary didn't have another Mary to support her, right? And so we have the most, we have the most beautiful mother, the most, the strongest mother. And so she, I think she gives us again, that hope and that serenity in our suffering that, uh, you know, we're not alone because they, Jesus and Mary suffer with us. That's beautiful. Well, we're edging on 40 minutes here and, um, we're both recording. It's, uh, getting late. We put our kids to bed. We're doing the dad thing and trying to fit in the extracurriculars after, after everyone's asleep. Um, I'm really, really happy you did this. I can't wait to read this book to my kids. I really, and I can tell just from the cover, I'll just make it a little bit bigger for people to see it, just how beautiful this artwork is. Um, I mean, that is really astonishing original artwork. So bravo to the artist who did that. 
And um, what an endorsement to have Father Ripperger as well. Um, before we go, uh, do you have a personal website or anything where kind of all your stuff is in one place or yeah. a social media account you can guide people to? Yeah, I do. It's it's Patrick and then R, my middle initial, initial and then O'Hearn.com. So PatrickROhern.com. And then my Instagram is just PatrickROhern. Okay, that's excellent. I'll make sure that I put in the show notes a link to your website to the book on Sophia. I don't have Instagram, but uh, people can look up Patrick. I have Twitter. <laughs> well, I'm, not an, but, I'm not an elitist. I love social media. I just don't have Instagram. But No, I, I don't have the other social. I, mean, I have LinkedIn and Instagram, but it's if you go PatrickOhern.com, you'll get a new age singer. So that's why I put the <laughs> R in there. Yeah, it's not the same guy. Not the same guy yeah. at all. You know, it's funny. Back in the day... Um, when I was trying to buy the website kennedyhall.com, I have kennedyhall.ca, which in Canada we can get the CA or whatever. It's fine. But I want a .com because it's more universal and whatever. But uh, I, would have had to have bought, I would have had to have bought it from some organization that re- uh, reserved it for like some place called Kennedy Hall. So, which is, anyway. So I know that there's lots of funny ways that your name can be on websites. So, all right, Patrick. It's been a pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Check out this book by Patrick O'Hearn, Our Lady of Sorrows, Devotion to Mary's Seven Sorrows for Children. Beautiful original artwork. Wonderful, accessible, but not watered-down devotions to Our Lady with an endorsement and original prayers by Father Ripperger, which is a very special thing. As always, ladies and gentlemen, let, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless, and you have a good evening, Patrick. Thank you. You as well.